0: Peace be upon you. So, anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a while uh, would realize that I rarely talk about topical issues. Uh, usually, I like to stick to timeless principles that are pulled from the Quran uh, that inshallah someone, you know, 10 years from now can go back and listen to and still be able to benefit from. And uh, I avoid things that are in the news cycle. Sometimes I'll talk about the, the, the general theme without ever addressing the actual news topic. But this time I feel is different. Uh, I wanted to address specifically the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, look at this through the lens of the Quran. So let's start by looking at the concept of racism. Uh, God strongly prohibits racism. Actually, the first racist we have is that of Satan. When God created Adam and he asked all the angels to prostrate before Adam, Satan refused. And when God questioned Satan to why he refused to prostrate before Adam, the response he gave, he said, I am better than he. You created me from fire, and you created him from clay. And there we have the first racist, an individual who thought that just because of his makeup, that he was a better individual than someone else. Not because of his character, not because of his morality, but strictly because of the contents of what he was made. And this is the foundation of racism. Anyone who's a racist today, who basically despises someone else because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity, is no better than Satan. They're following in the same footsteps as Satan. In Surah 49, verse 13, it reads, O people, we created you from the same male and female and rendered you distinct peoples and tribes that you may recognize one another. The best among you in the sight of God is the most righteous. God is omniscient, cognizant. God is telling us the criteria by which we judge has nothing to do with the color of one's skin, has nothing to do with the tribe by which they come from, has nothing to do with their ethnicity. What matters is the character and their morality and ultimately their righteousness. That's the metric by which we should judge individuals. How righteous are they? How good of an individual are they? How kind are they? In Surah 30, verse 22, reads, Among his proofs are the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the variations in your languages and your colors. In these, there are signs for the knowledgeable. So God is informing us. This is part of God's beautiful design, that we have these variations in our languages, in our colors, in our cultures. And this is something to be celebrated. But rather than use this as a a sign, some people use this as a way to, to isolate people, to discriminate against people. And this goes completely against the Qur'an. Now the question is, what do we do when you have an ideology that contradicts what we have in the Qur'an? It is our duty that we uphold the Qur'an. It doesn't matter how good the ideology sounds, we always uphold the Qur'an. In Surah 5, verse 48, it reads, And we will reveal to you the scripture truthfully, confirming previous scriptures and superseding them. You shall rule among them in accordance with God's revelations and do not follow their wishes if they defer from the truth that has come to you. So God is telling us that under no circumstances can we deviate from the message and the ruling and the source of law that God provides for us in the Quran. Now, what happens is, We get a lot of arguments that sound appealing on the surface. They sound emotional. And our heart is telling us that, yes, we need to basically support these causes. But when you scratch below the surface, what you realize is that these premises completely contradict the foundations of the Quran. We have something known as Godwin's Law. And what Godwin's Law is, is that when social media first became popular, this individual realized that. Hey, there's no possible way two people can have a argument on social media without one party eventually resorting to comparing the other party to Hitler or Nazis or the Third Reich or something of that sort. And the question is why? Why is that? It's because we've all identified universally that these are the epitome of evil. Therefore, if I can equate someone as Hitler or Nazi uh, or some other, uh, you know, uh, of these depictions, then I've automatically taken the moral high ground. The problem in that is that these individuals were completely heinous. Hitler killed millions of innocent individuals. He was the epitome of everything evil. And when we start equating anyone who has a difference of understanding than us as a Nazi or Hitler, we're really, really doing a disservice to just how disgusting of an individual this person was. And we shouldn't use these terms lightly. When we call each other racist because, you know, we have a difference of understanding on some data or some topic, it just goes to show that these words are losing their meaning. And this is actually something that George Orwell in his book 1984 warned about. Consistently, when people are able to take over language, to allow words to mean new things, then all of a sudden we lose the foundation by which we can communicate. In 1984, the book, there's a concept known as doublethink. Doublethink is a process of indoctrination whereby the subject is expected to accept as true that which is clearly false or to simultaneously accept two mutually contradictory beliefs as correct. When this happens we lose that foundation because these words that have certain meanings all of a sudden they mean the opposite of what they actually mean. When each individual can be Targeted and isolated and called a racist or compared to Hitler or Nazis then all of a sudden all conversation stops and there's another term from the book 1984 It's called double speak double speak is the language that deliberately Obscures disguises distorts or reverses the meanings of words So rather than it meaning what you would think it means on the surface level you realize that it actually means the opposite so in the book the ministry of love was the department that used force to force individuals to love their big brother. And big brother was kind of the government in this. The ministry of peace was actually the department of war. The ministry of truth was actually the department of propaganda. So if someone said, I'm against the ministry of truth, if you heard that on the surface level, you'd say, oh, wow, what a terrible person. He must hate truth. But what you realize was the ministry of truth was actually the department for propaganda. So by saying, I hate the ministry of truth, what they're actually saying is I hate propaganda. But again, from the surface level, this is lost meaning. Now, what does this have to do with Black Lives Matter? The question is, we have the namesake Black Lives Matter, which everyone is in agreement for. To say that one life is better than another is completely erroneous. It's terrible. So no one is ever going to object to the statement, do Black Lives Matter? Absolutely, they matter. But the question is, is that what the movement is propagating? Because what the, the namesake says versus what their actual objectives are, are at odds with one another. And I'll try to give an example. Imagine I create a movement, or someone creates a movement, a group of people, and they call it Human Lives Matter. And the reasoning for creating this movement is because they say, look, each year, and this is a true stat, 250,000 people die because of medical error. This is about 10% of all deaths in the United States are caused because of medical error. So they create a campaign and they say Human Lives Matter. Who's going to be against that campaign? No one, because everyone agrees that this is a problem. Everyone agrees that this needs to be addressed. That there's ways to improve the situation. But what if you under you you dig a little deeper and say, okay, I understand human lives matter. But what do you want to do? What do you is it that you want to achieve? And what you find out is that their objective is to defund hospitals. Is to end doctors from uh, being an uh, official practice. Is to promote violence to further their cause or to tear down the entire healthcare system to rebuild in a new version. Once you hear that, you realize like, oh wow, what the Human Lives Matter movement wants to do is fundamentally at odds with the actual human lives that they claim they wanna support. BLM is doing the exact same thing. On the surface, if you look at the namesake, uh, Black Lives Matter, again, everyone is gonna agree with that statement. But when you start digging in to see what is it that their objective is, how do they want to create this new vision to show the world that, yes, black lives matter, you realize that this is literally a Marxist revolution. It has nothing to do with the well-being of black lives. I'm going to actually argue that it does the opposite, that what they're doing is propagating certain changes in society that are going to be to the direct detriment of black lives and every American at that. If you look at the background on the three co-founders of BLM, Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi, these individuals are self-proclaimed Marxist revolutionaries. In one interview, Patrice Cullors, she says that her and Alicia, so someone was asking a question, they said, hey, you know, there's some people think that you're not up for the task for driving this movement. And she reassures these individuals that, no, she is a trained Marxist. She's trained in their ideologies, that she knows the tactics she needs to uphold in order to propagate this movement. And OK, so she's identifying as a trained Marxist. Uh, Opal Tometi, another one of the, the three co-founders, in 2015... <laughs> She was in Venezuela helping them with their elections. Here's a tweet. This is from December 3rd, 2015. You can go to her Twitter account and it reads, Currently in Venezuela, such a relief to be in a place where there is intelligent political discourse. Keep in mind, this is when Obama was in office. This has nothing to do with Trump. This is when Obama was in office, she's in Venezuela praising Madero. An individual who has killed countless people, who's stolen the property, the private property of millions of individuals. Venezuela used to be one of the most prosperous societies on the planet. When they started implementing their Marxist revolution, all of a sudden they are one of the most um, poorest individuals on this planet. Their people are starving on the streets. They have no food. They have no security. They're in continuous perpetual violence. And she's praising these, uh, this country. These are the people who are founding Black Lives Matter. They are self-proclaimed atheist, homosexual, Marxist revolutionaries. And these are the ones who are propagating this movement. So when someone says, look, I'm 100% for Black Lives, I am not for the Black Lives Matter movement because what they are propagating, again, is at the detriment to Black Americans and Americans at large. So I want to get into these specifics The first thing that they propagate when you look at Black Lives Matter movement, their first cause, and there is a reason for this, is to defund the police. Now, most people, when you say, hey, look, this is a terrible idea, they say, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. What they actually want is to reform the police. But that is not what they're protesting for. They literally want to defund the police. Defund means to prevent from continuing to receive funds. It does not mean reform, reallocate. These are things that other individuals can agree upon. But what the protesters, these founders want is to specifically abolish the police department. Now, why is it that they want to do this? It's because they realize the first line of defense in order to be able to successfully have a overthrow of the government is to be able to eliminate the police department. If they can eliminate the police department, the chances of a military, the U.S. military coming and Creating order is going to be virtually impossible. You know militaries are not good for this these kind of tactics they're good for war for things that are happening inside civilian society militaries are horrendous if you want any proof of this look at how the militaries perform every time we've gone into another country Iraq Afghanistan it's an utter nightmare we are the U.S. military is absolutely terrible at such a thing so they know if they can eliminate the police if they can abolish the police then they can have their opportunity in order to overthrow the government and um Again, if there's any doubt that these individuals want to abolish the police, here's a op-ed from the the New York Times from Miriam Kaba, who's the co-founder of Chicago BLM movement. So Chicago BLM is one of the the largest BLM uh, groups in the country. And in her op-ed, she says, this is the, the headline. Yes, we mean literally abolish the police. And you look at her work, she has so much books written on this concept that she believes that police departments are the reason of the downfall of society, and she wants them abolished. And it's not just her. In the uh, protest when uh, in Minneapolis, they had uh, the mayor, Jacob Fry, come because they, they went to his house, and he came out and they said, Jacob, will you defund the police? And they said, let me be clear, we want no more police. We want no more people with guns. And when Jacob Fry said I will not I'm not for abolishing the police, he got booed by thousands and thousands of protesters saying go home Jacob, go home. This is what to say that you no know, what they actually mean is to reform is is an utter lie. And what happens when you defund the police? We see a little glimpse of this. And it's really sad. In Chicago, this past weekend, this is Father's Day weekend, there were 104 shootings of individuals. 14 people were murdered, including a three-year-old child. Now, you think when the the police department is so heavily uh, tied up dealing with protesters, dealing with rioters, dealing with looters, And on top of that, they're so demoralized because the whole society now hates them, has painted them as these terrible individuals, uh, these racist individuals. Then what happens is that there is chaos in society. I mean, 14 murders in a single weekend. The previous weekend, this is from May 29th to June 1st, there were 25 people who were killed in Chicago alone. This was the bloodiest weekend in Chicago's 60-year history. So in 60 years since they've had such a bloody outcome, 85 people wounded by gunfire. This is what happens when you defund the police. You have chaos. You have absolute warfare on the street. So these individuals who want to propagate to defund the police, you look, they've caused more death to African-Americans than the unfortunate unarmed shooting that police have caused in, in any year, just in these two weekends in this one location. And individuals, they often, they point, they say, look, Camden, New Jersey is an example. I don't know if you guys have seen this. They say it's an example of what defund the police uh, looks like. And this is such an utter propagandist lie. Camden, New Jersey, you can go look at the Wikipedia page. What happened was they their union, the police union, this is a big problem with uh, the uh, uh, police departments that they're heavily unionized. Union by its very nature, it basically uh, protects their worst workers meaning you have individuals who are terrible let's say they're racist they're they're just uh, tons of complaints against them the union protects these individuals because they lack individual accountability under the structure of a union and it's not limited to police departments you see this in teacher unions you see this in uh, unions and government workers this is an inherent problem with unions so in 2011 Uh, the Camden Police Department was in talks with the uh, county because they wanted $60 million in funding. And they were saying that's way too much because at that time, they were one of the highest ranking murder uh, uh, locations in the country. And they felt like, look, there's no way we're going to pay you this much money based on the results you're having. So when the conversations, the negotiations halted in January 2011, Camden laid off 168 of 370 police officers. The next two years, 2011 and 2012, were the bloodiest years in Camden's history. It's because the police straight up just stopped. They said that sometimes there was as little as 12 officers who were patrolling at a time. And you can guarantee these officers were not motivated to actually put themselves in the risk of harm to stopping any crime. In 2010, there were 37 murders. Okay, so after, and that was, that's terrible. But in 2011 when the police department cut their force by 168 people, it skyrocketed to 52 murders. Then in 2012, there were 70 murders. The death toll was so horrific that activists created a field of crosses in front of Camden City Hall, planning a new one for each of the murder victims. This is what happens when you defund the police, just like what we're seeing in Chicago right now. Is that when you have a lawlessness and you have a society that has more guns than there are people, individuals end up killing each other. And this is what these people want. They want to defund the police. They want to eliminate the police. It's not because they want the protection of African-Americans or Americans at large. It's because they want a revolution. And it wasn't until 2013 that they re-established the police department under the Camden County Police Department. And the only change that really took place was that this new police department wasn't unionized. So therefore, their costs were lower and they could actually fund more police. And these police did still have guns today and also more uh, programs to help the people in that society. So what we saw, the defunding of the police actually led to skyrocketing of uh, uh, deaths, skyrocketing into murders and lawlessness, and it wasn't until the police was re-established uh, under the deunionized uh, manner that you actually saw crime start to decrease. This is completely in line with Marxist ideology. In Marxism, there is no police. People are supposed to all live in utopia, hand in hand, and it's a complete utopian fabrication. It's not going to happen. We see consistently what happens when you eliminate uh, uh, police departments within a society. You get lawlessness. You know, go across the border, go to uh, to, to Mexico, go to uh, Colombia, and you see the number of killings because the police department, there is no incentive for them to actually police. You know, individuals, they vastly underestimate how small of a subset of a population you need to really overthrow a government. And uh, in Nazi Germany, this is for perspective, in 1933, they only had 2 million members. And that's about 3% of the population that was affiliated with the Nazi party. At the peak of the Nazi party in 1945, they only had 8 million members. That only equates to 10% of the population. And if you compare that, so you say, look, 10% of the population was actually avidly part of the Nazi Party. How many people were complacent? Probably a decent amount. Uh, you look at the Islamic Revolution in, uh, in uh, 1979 in Iran. The Islamic Party had 2.5 million members, only 6.7% of the total population. Yet they had mass support from the ma- the, the individuals. And what we see right now is that in a poll. I believe it was Pew Research, that roughly two thirds of Americans support the BLM movement. Now how could they possibly support something that again at the core of its foundation is at the detriment to the lives of African Americans, that it's to the detriment of the lives of the very people who quote unquote support this. Now there is a term in communist talk that's called a useful idiot. A useful idiot is an individual who is propagating a cause without fully understanding the goals of that cause let alone who are the leaders and what are their motivations. That these people just jump on the bandwagon. They say, hey, this sounds great. We're for Black Lives Matter. Let me go out on the street and cause uh, havoc and uh, destruction, not realizing that what they're doing is propagating the very source of their future destruction. And it's sad that that's what two-thirds of America are falling for. That again, they look at the namesake and they don't stop to ask, what is the actual objective of this? The problem is not just the defunding of the police. This is just one of them. This is the, the core mission. And again, the reason they want to do that is because that's going to give them the strongest foothold to the next step, step of their uh, movement. And we see this is from the Black Lives Matter uh, website itself, as far as what is it that their movement is propagating. And you realize it very little of it has to do with the well-being of black lives. So this is one of the points. This is we disrupt The Western prescribed nuclear family requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Keep in mind, these individuals, these uh, self-identified, queer, atheist, Marxists. this is their utopian vision, that you destroy the nuclear family. You do not have a, a husband, a wife, children, a strong bond that they are now raised in a collective. And this is completely at odds with the Quran. The Quran constantly uh, ascribes that a family is essential, that the husband and the wife, that God actually abhors this divorce, that we do everything in order to support one another, to maintain this unity, to maintain this uh, nuclear bond. But these individuals, they're against that. And what happens to a society that all of a sudden you destroy the nuclear family? We actually saw this After the civil rights movement with the uh, welfare state, and it's really sad, but anyone who's uh, studied the matter realizes that propagating welfare was actually to the detriment of black communities. The number of marriages uh, that took place prior to the civil rights movement was higher than post the civil rights movement. And the reason they believe this is because welfare actually incentivized individuals to not stay married because they would get more support if they had a broken family. And you think about what happens with society after generations that is incentivized not to stay together. And it's sad, but the number of fathers who are absent in black families compared to what it was prior to uh, civil rights, prior to the welfare state, uh, is really a gross injustice. And we saw that after uh, welfare came out and then the divorce rate skyrocketed and kids out of wedlock became higher, what else took place? We see skyrocketing uh, rates of abortion among African-American communities. Uh, Margaret Sanger, her objective, she's the founder of uh, Planned Parenthood, was to sterilize the races that she deemed unfit to breed. And these were predominantly African-Americans. I won't even repeat some of her comments because they are so offensive. You know, the long-term consequences of growing up in a single-family home, we, we discussed this in the previous podcast about abortion. You know, I believe it's like 80% of people in prison uh, came from single-family homes, right? Drug abuse is way higher in single-family home. And this idea that all of a sudden we're, we're going to all be one uh, huge family, everyone cares for someone, it, it's tried time and time again, and it always fails, This is not, this is something that again, it it works only in uh, Marxist literature, but we never see it occur in, uh, in reality. And the sad thing is that it's these kind of, uh, these policies that they're propagating only end up hurting themselves. And we saw this. So say for instance, you see that there's, uh, there's a video that circulates around it shows someone that is you know being brutally uh, uh, attacked who's african-american by uh, a police uh, officer and what happens is that the grocery stores go and get looted now what did the grocery stores have to do with this so the effect is the grocery stores they move out they say hey, look it's not possible to generate enough uh, profit to operate in these locations and then you fast forward years later and then now there's no grocery stores in the neighborhood, and what's the media say? The media says that, oh, there's systematic racism against uh, black communities because there isn't any grocery stores, there's fruits uh, uh, deserts. But there's an economic reason behind this. You know, they create the problem and they suffer the consequences, then they go back and they blame other people for the problem that they created. This is the, 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 the problem with this movement, is that again, they're propagating things that are only to the detriment of their own community. Here's another one from the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, website as far as their objective. It says, We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual. Really, is the average African-American in America waking up each morning and saying, you know what, I really wish we didn't have such a tight grip of heteronormative thinking in American society? Of course not. This is something that has to do with the founders of Black Lives Matter movement. They self-identify as queer, atheist, Marxist revolutionaries. This is what they want to propagate, and they're using the masses under a noble cause in order to propagate their hate, in order to propagate their destruction of the nuclear family to push this atheistic agenda. And we shouldn't be complacent in this. We should, yeah, it's not going to be popular, but we have to distinguish between black lives and the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, where does it end? There was a article that's written, it said the cult of dynamic wokeness is that there is no end. There is no point where you say, okay, we're redeemed, we're happy, everyone's living together, there is no, you know, uh, no more hard feelings. It says, you must understand racism and admit that you cannot understand racism. You must admit your complicity in racism and pledge to do better, knowing that it's impossible to do better. You must be an ally, but accept that you will always do your allyship wrong, that there's nothing you can do to appease people, you know, that they're always going to find something else to complain about. And you see this, that in the past, they would complain saying, hey, look, you know, these Confederate statues have to go. And they get rid of them. Then they say, you know what, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, they have to go too. And eventually they're toppling over statues of abolitionists, people who were uh, protecting the, the rights of human beings. That you realize this is has nothing to do with racism in society, it has nothing to do with treating people fairly and equitably. It has everything to do with destroying the American fabric to destroy the political system that we have in place in order to foster a brand new revolution. One of the things that I find so disappointing is how Americans as a whole, they've become so unappreciative of this country despite so many blessings that we have here. You think about the millions of people from all over the world. They did a poll, I believe it's about 170 million people would love to be able to migrate, to immigrate to the United States. And these are from some of the countries that are the most desolate. These are from African countries. These are from Asian countries. People that they they realize, they say, okay, look, there might be some racism here, but it's way better than what is taking place in Africa. I mean, this is a fact that an African-American has better opportunity than anyone in Africa. Because if you look, the outflow of Africa to the U.S. is tremendous. You know, there's probably tens of millions of individuals every year trying to migrate to the United States from Africa. How many people from the United States are trying to migrate to Africa? You know, despite having the greatest country in the world, having the most diversity in the world, having the most opportunity for foreigners in the world, giving more money per capita to other individuals in the world, the amount of charity that Americans give is like an order of magnitude than uh, the next country. I believe it's like 10x more than what Germany gives. And this is per capita. These things, it shows just how amazing of a country we have, yet you have individuals who believe we live in the most racist, tyrannical country in the world. It's beyond crazy. For the last 10 years, the U.S. every year is the most desirable country for people to move into. What's funny is people outside the country, they view that what happened to George Floyd, these one-off cases, are the common occurrence in the U.S. And thank God these are rare occurrences. But then people treat as if this is happening all the time, which it isn't, the statistics prove this. Every time it happens is an absolute tragedy, but it's different to say that this is systematic racism. You know, God warns us of a society that becomes unappreciative. In Surah 16, verse 112, it says, God cites the example of a community that used to be secure and prosperous with provisions coming to it from everywhere. But then it turned unappreciative of God's blessings. Consequently, God caused them to taste the hardship of starvation and insecurity. Such is the record for what they did. We have such a huge blessing that we have this country that is the world power that is able to establish freedom of opportunity, freedom of religion, freedom of expression. I cannot go and practice my religion comfortably in any other country, pretty much. If I go to the Middle Eastern country, they would run me out. They would banish me. They'd throw me into jail. If I go to China and try to pray in public, I would get thrown in jail. I've had people, Muslims, who were in China trying to do their salat and they got stopped by police. And if it wasn't for the tour guide, they would be in in jail right now. How did this happen? How did we get to this state? And the sad thing is it has to do with the mentality of people. People often point to historic laws in America that either intentionally or unintentionally negatively impacted black Americans as a sign of systematic racism in our country today. I would make the following two counterpoints to why I see this argument as fundamentally flawed. The first is the fact that these laws, thank god, were overturned years ago, is evidence that American society today is not systematically racist. And secondly, regarding the lasting effect of these policies as proof for systematic racism, I'd make the following argument. We can always blame our circumstances based on past injustices, but it's an an, an ineffective strategy to better ourselves. This kind of mentality creates a population that is despondent and believes there is nothing they can do to improve their situation, and it fosters a victim mentality. Therefore, I'm going to argue that it's the mentality towards bad policies that existed in the past that is the root of the problem, and not the lasting effects of these old overturned policies. Proof of this is the millions of immigrants have come to the U.S. during this time with less education, less money, skills, status, and less concept of the language, the culture than Americans who grew up here. But why is it that immigrants who start off in so much worse of a situation are consistently able to become the upper echelon of society in the U.S.? I mean, thank God we see people who come from the slums of other parts of the world come to the U.S. and become some of the most wealthy, highest status individuals. You know, for all intents and purposes, if there were systematic racism, then people who are immigrants to the U.S. like Nigerian Americans should be just as much negatively impacted, if not more so, than American citizens who do not have this extra baggage. But we see that Nigerian Americans are one of the most successful demographics in American society. What's the difference? They have the same color of skin. They have the same uh, uh, quote-unquote systematic racism against them. It's the mentality that's different. You know, in every population, there are two kinds of people. One group of people believe that if they work hard, they can better their situation. The other group of people believes that their lives are dependent on the structural problems and they have little control over You know, my problem with the arguments like this is that they put a disproportionate amount of blame on external factors that they can't control and not nearly enough responsibility upon themselves in the multitude of aspects that they can't control. I would say in any situation, 90% of a person's problems can be resolved by working on themselves. And yeah, 10% is going to be at odds with you, but rather than focus on the 90% of what we can each individually fix, we all want to fix that 10% that's external. Since I'm already this far into the uh, political discussion, I might as well go all the way. There's a fundamental difference among Democrats and Republicans in their viewpoints on uh, life and how to be successful. And this was done by Pew Research, and it said that, for instance, the majority of Republicans, 78% say most people can get ahead if they work hard, while only 22% of Democrats believe the same thing. Additionally, while a majority of Republicans, 60% say they believe that different choices in life contribute to a great deal to the income inequality, only 27% of Demo- Democrats believe the same thing. That you see consistently, Republicans believe that their outcomes are dependent on their choices, but you'll see that among Democrats, they believe that, no, it's society that dictates their outcomes. And this change in perspective is what distinguishes between individuals who are successful from those who aren't. Because someone who, say, for instance, believes that there's no chance for them, there's no hope for them, they're never going to work to better their situation. I can go to a developing country right now and talk to individuals and the vast majority of people if you ask why are you in such dire conditions they're going to say that it's because of the system that it's it's working against them but you can find that same ethnicity here in the united states and they're highly successful what's the difference is their mentality was different the individual who believed that they could better their situation by god's leave got up and moved they went against the grain they, they basically worked hard and they believed that if they did so god would reward them and that's what we see you know, Republicans are also more likely than Democrats to see people working harder than others as a major contributor to inequality. While 48% say that, look, this has to do with how hard the individual worked, 22% of Democrats believe that working hard is a variable into being successful. And that's a huge issue. You ask, you say, hey, if you could give a message to millions of people who are impoverished, who are in tough uh, situations, and the message is either, hey, the system is rigged against you, give up, or no, you work hard, you make good choices, then you're guaranteed by God's leave that you will be more successful than you are now. Which one would you want to uh, propagate? Because right now what the BLM movement wants to say is that look, you're hopeless. there's nothing you can do. The only thing that you have left is to revolt, to cause this revolution, to tear everything down. And what happened? I'm mean, gonna this is my last bit that we got here. and this is going to get you know deep into the, uh, the the political aspect, but I can't help myself at this point. So in 2011 we had Occupy Wall Street. And Occupy Wall Street was basically found that people said, look, it was unfair that in 2008, all these banks, all these billionaires, they all got bailed out. And then who got left holding the bag? The average person. And they were right in their sentiment. The problem they had is that they could not garner political support. They could not garner corporation support, money in order to further the cause because their very cause was against the politicians and the money and the interest. And that's a sad state of affairs, but that's the reality. How are you going to promote, in essence, someone whose objective is to diminish your status or your your well-being? It's not going to happen. But in 2013, when the Black Lives Matter movement happened, what politicians realized was that, oh, wow, This is roughly the same demographic, but this one we can actually support. Why? Is because they are willing to take political uh, uh, support. They're willing to take funds and money. You see some of these founders of the Black Lives Matter movement or some of these prominent speakers getting paid $250,000 or a million dollars as a consulting fee to some corporation. We're seeing hundreds of millions, potentially billions of dollars being funneled into the Black Lives Matter movement. Again, a, a Marxist revolution. And what happened? How did this come to be? It's because the politicians realized that if they got in bed with these individuals, it gave them certain support. And if you see, it's predominantly Democrats. It's because these areas that are the most heavily affected with inequality, with dissatisfied constituencies are in Democratic strongholds. Now, rather than admit their policies utterly failed, that they've utterly failed their constituency, what they want to say is that, no, this is systematic racism. And it allowed them to give cover to their terrible policies, while being able to jump on the bandwagon to get their support. And now what's going on is that you're seeing that, look, these people have made a pact with the devil, because everything that they propagate is completely against what the Quran has. They want an atheistic, queer-centric society that is completely against freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, constitutional law, law and order, that they want to tear all that down. And create their quote-unquote Marxist utopia, which always leads in the death and lives of millions of people being uprooted, being torn apart. But what happened is that they got in bed with them, and now they're basically taking over. They realize that they have way more cl- way more power than they, uh, they thought they did. They thought that, hey, if we could just get on the bandwagon, we can use them as a propagation to get Trump out of office, then we'll take control. And we're seeing that they're utterly failing. The other day in Wisconsin, A gay Democratic 60-year-old senator was mauled by a mob of people. And he was a Black Lives Matter supporter because he was filming them toppling some of these statues. This is no longer a peaceful protest. This has nothing to do with the well-being of black Americans. This is a revolution. And there's a quote from Mark Twain. It says, it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they've been fooled. And this is what we're seeing right now. People, they bought into this narrative. They bought into this bandwagon. And despite what we show them, despite what evidence they see, they're in disbelief to what's taking place. In Surah 2, verse 204 through 206, it reads, Among the people, one may impress you with his utterances concerning this life and may even call upon God to witness his innermost thoughts while he is the most ardent opponent. As soon as he leaves, he roams the earth corruptingly destroying properties and lives. God does not love corruption. When he is told, observe God, he becomes arrogantly indignant. Consequently, his only destiny is hell. What a miserable abode. This is what people are doing. They're putting this facade that their intentions are noble, that they're fighting for a good cause, but it only takes a little detective work to realize their true motivations. So let's not be fooled by these poets. God tells us in Surah 26, verse 221 through 226 says, Shall I inform you upon whom the devils descend? They descend upon every guilty fabricator. They pretend to listen, but most of them are liars. As for the poets, they are followed only by the strayers. Do do you not see that their loyalty shifts according to the situation and that they say what they do not do? These individuals are promising one thing and delivering something else. And the vast majority of people are following them blindly. In 6:116, it reads, If you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture. They only guess. God willing, we're going to end there, but I'm going to link to a clip. This is from a person, his name is Yuri Bezmenov. He was a de from Russia, Communist Russia, the KGB. And he's talking about how the socialist movement uses subversion as a tactic to cause a revolution. And this was recorded in 1984, and he says it takes a generation, 30 years, for this to come to practice. Now, we're just about that time, so I think it's very relevant. But as always, if you guys got comments, questions, please hit us up at Qurantalk at gmail.com. If you guys want to read a translation of the Quran, check out the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. We do a word-for-word literal translation of the Quran along with a great translation uh, for the verse. Uh, we also have the website, croncityapp.com. And now here's the clip from uh, Yuri Bezmanov. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it?
1: Ideological subversion is, is the process which is legitimate, overt and open. You you can see it with your own eyes. All, All you have to do, all American mass media has to do, is to unplug their bananas from their ears, open up their eyes and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of thrillers. But in reality, The main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, активные мероприятия, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result? The result you can see. Most of the people who graduated in the 60s dropouts or half-baked intellectuals are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind even if you if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black, you still cannot change the basic Perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid society of these people, you have you need another twenty or or, or fifteen years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and and, and uh, common common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of, the, uh, of the United States society and yet these people who have been programmed and as you say in place and yes. who are favorable to
0: an opening with the Soviet concept mm-hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? most of them
1: yes mm-hmm. uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means mm-hmm. in practice obviously they will revolt they, they, they will uh, they, they will be very unhappy frustrated people and the Marxist Leninist regime does not tolerate these people uh, they obviously they will join the links of dissenters mm-hmm. dissidents yes. uh, unlike in present United States there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist Leninist America uh, here you can you can get uh, Popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't understand and uh, it will be a greatest shock for them, of course. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already uh, for the last 25 years. is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, Even if I shower him with information, with with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he he is going to receive a kick in in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. So, basically, America is stuck with, with demoralization. And unless, even if, if you start right now, here, this minute, you start educating new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality uh, back to normal, normalcy and, and uh, patriotism. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation. Uh, it's what what matters is essentials: economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas. Uh, To promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in yeah. Washington D.C. with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. He will go to Moscow to kiss the bottoms of. of new generation of Soviet assassins, never mind he will create false illusions that the uh, situation is under control situation is not under control, situation is disgustingly out of control. Most of the American politicians media and educational system trains another generation of people who think they are living at a peacetime. False. The United States is in a state of war, undeclared total war against the basic principles and the foundations of, of this system. And, and the initiator of this war is not Comrade Andropov, of course. Uh, it's, it's the system, however ridiculous it may sound, the world communist system or the world communist conspiracy. Whether I scare some people or not, I don't give a hood. Uh, If If you are not scared by now, nothing can scare you but you don't have to be paranoid about it what what actually happens now that unlike myself you have literally several years to live on unless the United States wake up the, the time bomb is ticking that every second the disaster is coming closer and closer unlike myself you will have nowhere to defect to unless you want to live in Antarctica with penguins this is it this is the last country of freedom and, and possibility.
0: Okay, so what do we do? What is your recommendation to the American people?
1: Well, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the immediate thing that comes to my mind is, of course, there must be a very strong national effort to educate people in, in, in the spirit of real patriotism, number one. Number two, to, to explain them the real danger of socialist, communist, whatever, welfare state, big brother government if people will fail to grasp the impending danger of that development, nothing ever can help United States. You may kiss goodbye to your freedom including freedoms to, to homosexuals, to prison inmates, all this freedom will vanish, evaporate in, in five seconds including your precious lives. Um, the second thing, I, the moment at least part of the United States population is convinced that the danger is real. They have to force their government. And I'm not talking about sending letters, signing petitions, and all this beautiful noble activity. I'm talking about forcing United States government to stop aiding communism. Because there is no other problem, more burning and, and urgent, than to stop the Soviet military industrial complex from destroying what is, whatever is left of the free world. And it is very easy to do. No credits no technology, no money, no political or diplomatic recognition and of course no such idiocy as grain deals to USSR. The Soviet people, 270 millions of of Soviets will be eternally thankful to you if you stop aiding a bunch of murderers who sit now in Kremlin and whom President Reagan respectfully calls government. They do not govern anything, least of all such complexity as the Soviet economy. So basic Two, very simple, maybe too simplistic answers or solutions, but never, nevertheless, they are the only solutions. Educate yourself, understand what's going on around you. You are not living at the time of peace; you are in a state of war, and you have precious little time to save yourself. Um, you don't have much time, especially if you are talking about young generation. There is not much time left for convulsions. Uh, uh, to the beautiful uh, disco music. Very soon it will go, just just overnight. If we are talking about capitalists or, or, or wealthy businessmen, they I think they are selling the rope on which they will hang very soon. If they don't stop, if they cannot curb their unsettled desire for profit, and if they keep on trading with the monster of the Soviet communism, they are going to hang very soon. And it, they will pray to be killed, but unfortunately they will be sent to Alaska, probably, to manage industry of slaves. It's, it's simplistic. I know it sounds unpleasant. I know Americans don't like to listen to things which are unpleasant. But I have defected not to tell you the stories about such idiocies as, as microfilm James Bond type espionage. This is garbage. Uh, you don't need any espionage anymore. I have come to talk about survival. It's a question of survival of this system. You may ask me, what is it in for me? Survival, obviously, because unlike, I, as I said, I am now in your boat. If, if we sing together, we'll sing beautifully together. There is no other place on this planet to defect to.